0: I've asked about the psychological impacts and you've given us a fantastic overview of that are there physical impacts of toxic leadership on employees?
1: well certainly physiologically in relation to the psychological impacts absolutely um, so it increases stress and anxiety and prolonged you know experiences and bouts of stress with stress and anxiety absolutely take a toll on our physical health so if if I'm in a persistently toxic workplace environment where I'm just like every day I'm like dragging myself out of bed. I'm dreading going to work. I know when I get there, like I'm just on eggshells the whole time. I'm worried about my boss screaming. I'm worried about messing up. You just have that constant anxiety, that constant stress. Uh, I mean the negative, the, the, the medical literature on like the negative impacts of that anxiety and stress are extensive. And so certainly that ends up contributing to poor workplace outcomes and performance and all that stuff we've talked about, but just the, the, the negative health impacts you're more much more likely to to not get enough sleep because of the stress and anxiety which also will contribute to you know uh, disease and just uh infection and, and and getting sick all of that absolutely uh, becomes an outcome of a toxic workplace environment and i've i've seen it firsthand where i've seen individual i've been fortunate enough to never directly experience it but i've I've worked in close proximity to other people who've had prolonged periods where they're working in a really toxic environment where it's, it's just destroyed them physically, they they're not getting sleep, they're stressed all the time, and they just become a shell of themselves and they're sick, they're sick more often. And one person in particular that I'm thinking of, Luckily, they they found themselves in a situation where they could change jobs, where they didn't feel like they had to s- stick it out and persevere within that toxic environment. And so they were able to switch jobs. And as soon as they did, like within six weeks, they transformed back into like a perfectly healthy person. And so it, it was just, it was night and day watching the degradation of that individual over time in the toxic environment and how quickly they were thankfully able to, to, to rebound once they were back in a healthy place and they weren't persistently just exhausted, tired, stressed, and, and dealing with anxiety and panic attacks.
0: I ask about the physical side because I, and I, I've disclosed this on a previous podcast, but I won't go into the full story other than to say, I, I remember a role that I had very vividly where I used to walk into the building. I would feel unwell as soon as I took a step into the building. I'd go up the lift to my job. And when I left every day around five o'clock, when the day finished, as soon as I got out of that lift and out of the, out of the place where I was working, I physically felt something draining out of me when I'd left and felt very good on the way home. But that fear and that anxiety, when I was walking towards the building, I could physically feel that. And the impact for me was uh, varying blood pressure. And that was what I think I was feeling. And, when i when i went to the doctor to ask about this uh he was very good because he didn't go to physical ailments he went how's your work life and as soon as i told him what was going on he didn't say it but he said maybe you should consider another job now he didn't provide that as medical advice obviously but I, i took that for what it was worth so it's Vitally important, I think, if if you're going to be a good friend at work, if you see someone degrading, like what you're describing now, that offering some assistance or a, a shoulder to lean on is probably an important thing because we sort of cross over to that mental good mental health at work is a is a casualty of of a bad uh, psychological. Toxic environment, and you've outlined that quite significantly. And, and Jonathan, this moves into the next topic area about the financial impacts on the organisation. Now, it doesn't take a, uh, a rocket scientist to work out that there's going to be negative impacts. But can you share maybe with the listeners what you understand to be those impacts from a from a business perspective?
1: Let's take for example cost of turnover. So when when you have a toxic environment, people don't stay. Maybe none of these other things we've been talking about end up happening. You know, maybe you're not really negatively impacting someone's overall health, you know, maybe significant enough to generate anxiety attacks and PTSD and those sorts of things. But the bottom line is, if someone's in that environment, they're not happy, they're not going to stay They're they're going to be looking for other opportunities. Now, if they have no other options, then they feel stuck, and then they have to kind of just deal with it. And that's, that's usually where we're, where I get really concerned about the individual and their personal psychological and physical health but most people do have at least some flexibility to be able to look and and move on to the next job uh or even you know take a little bit of time off while they're looking for the next opportunity and so frankly, if I'm an employer and I treat my people poorly, I'm not treating them with dignity and respect. Certainly if it's to the point where it's a toxic work environment, I'm just simply not going to attract people. And Excuse me, I certainly won't attract people, but I'm not going to retain people. I'm not going to um, keep them around. They're going to move to the next job. And right now, for example, I'm not sure how it is in Australia, but it's just, it's hard to hire. We have big skills deficiencies and skill gaps in the labor market. And and companies are really struggling to get enough good qualified people in positions. And so they can't afford to have good people already at the company taking off and going to other places. The, many studies have estimated the the cost of turnover, uh, and it depends on the level of the employee in the organization and how long they've been there and all those sorts of things. But kind of the general number, the general consensus that I see most commonly is about a year and a half salary is the cost for someone who chooses to leave. Now, assuming they're not like in an entry level position, they're, you know, maybe somewhere in the middle, some, you know, somewhere they, they have, you know, they have institutional knowledge. They, they have skills and expertise specifically related to the job. It's, it's hard to find a replacement for them. It's hard to, to, to get that new person in and to onboard them and to get them up to speed and get them producing at a a high level. And so that cost is extensive. Uh, I was doing a consulting project with an organization. This was a number of years ago. And and they had an, an incredibly high level of turnover at the lowest level, like the entry level positions. They just experienced insane turnover. And so their cost per turnover incident was pretty low relatively. It, they, they estimated it at around like 5000 to $7,500 per person. But because of the extent of the turnover, if, if they would be able to reduce their, like cut their turnover in half, they would save about $5 million a year. And so when you start to think about that, even at the lowest level, entry level position, you don't, it doesn't even require any college education. And that's the kind of cost to organizations. It sure makes a whole lot of sense that, yes, we want to invest in our people. We want to treat them with dignity and respect. We want them to feel empowered and they, we want them to feel fulfilled and motivated by the work that they do. And yes, of course, that means no toxic environments because, as soon as you have a toxic environment, of course, all of those other things go out the window. So that's kind that's one piece of the cost uh, in relation to what organizations have to deal with. The other piece that we've talked about a little bit is just the productivity costs and the opportunity costs towards you know productivity and innovation. Uh, and and there have been studies that have have shown you know it, it comes back to like the total cost of assholes studies that are out there. But it, it's extensive. The the cost on organizations when you have one jerk boss, it, it depends on the organization, depends on the size of the organization. But for any listener, you go out, uh, Google total cost of assholes, and there's like an equation. Um, there's like a formula you can figure out to like, what is the cost of the organization for this person? And it's it's not a little bit. It's a whole bunch. And so every organization should absolutely be terrified of having jerk, toxic, Asshole bosses.
0: Sorry, Jonathan, I'm laughing because I I, I cannot comprehend that uh, in, in, in the academic field that someone would label their study the cost of asshole bosses. <laughs> it's funny, but it's I guess injecting some humor into this is, is, is a way to engage with the topic because it's quite a meaty area to get into and, and it means a lot to a lot of people that have experienced this having met them myself and you've obviously met them yourself as well. Let me go a little rogue here and you can choose to answer or not to answer this. This, but I, I don't want you to name organizations, obviously. But in your experience, Jonathan, do you believe in your heart of hearts, and, and please put on your research hat as well, that organizations, as a generic statement, look the other way when it comes to toxic leadership or toxic workplaces, or they just are not aware of them? Yeah, I would say it's a spectrum. There's a whole bunch of things going
1: on there in the average organization. I mean, frankly, most organizations just aren't great with kind of general common principles of like organizational leadership and people management. So when we boil it down to like the most basic fundamental level of like, you got to at least meet this threshold in order to attract and retain good people and to just have a, a functioning organization, you know, you got to treat people with dignity and respect. You got to treat them fairly and, equitably. and if you if you don't do those basic human things, then you're not going to have a very well functioning organization. Yet we all know anyone listening knows that we've all encountered many organizations that don't do those basic things very well. Right. And so because of that, I truly believe that most people are not toxic, like most people are good faith, you know, well-intentioned individuals doing the best they know how within a system, within a context that may not be ideal. And they don't really know what they're doing. And so they perpetuate bad things, but they're, 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 they're doing it in good faith and they're doing it with good intention. I truly believe that. And I, I, I believe maybe I'm a little naive and Pollyanna ish, but I, I believe in the, the, the general innate goodness of people and to be good to other humans. But when you put an organizational structure over the top of like a whole bunch of messy human interactions and then you put inexperienced people in charge of managing teams of people it's just inevitable that you have you have perpetuated more messes and you have problems that emerge and persist that Really, they should never be there if you just treat people with dignity and respect and treat them fairly and equitably, like most of that stuff will go away. But so many people just feel trapped by the system. They feel trapped by the bureaucracy or they they know something's wrong, but they have no idea how to go about changing it. Uh, and so they just kind of maintain the status quo. There are certainly people who are cowards and they just don't have the gumption to, ch- to, to challenge, you know, um, those negative things that they see. And there's certainly people who are oblivious who just don't see it or they put their head in the sand so they can't see it. That also happens. But I, I think more often than not, it's it's just a systematic problem that needs that needs to be addressed. And then a, a very small subset of all the problems within organizations. This, this is my opinion. I have no like actual research to back this up. My own personal opinion is that the vast majority of all the problems within organizations, did I say majority, the vast minority of all the problems within organizations are actually caused by a really small number of toxic people, toxic leaders who have no business being in leadership. Um, they're narcissists, they're arrogant, they just don't treat people well. And they're going to, there's going to be a wake of destruction you know, in there as, as they go in any organization. And those are the people we definitely want to get rid of. We have enough problems in any organization already, even with just good people doing the best they know how we don't want those toxic people.
0: So what you're actually saying is we need to develop an asshole radar system for our organizations <laughs> to spot them before they start. Okay, so look, well, you, so you... so
1: that's interesting. I mean, yes, I, I, that, that would be awesome. And what's the mechanism for that today? Uh, we have the recruitment process, we have the hiring process, right? And so we know that most organizations don't do very they're not very good at at systematically going through that process they're not very good at ascertaining who's actually going to be good in a position and we there's there i'm sure you've heard of it but this idea of the peter principle that we promote people to the level of their incompetence so that someone you know is good at a job and because they're good at their current job they get promoted and they keep getting promoted as long as they're good at their job. But eventually, everyone gets to the point where they are now promoted into a new job where they suck. <laughs> and so, you have this this is a common problem across organizations where you just have lots of people who are good at their previous job. Now they're in it uh, over their heads and they don't know what to do, and they're just doing the best they know how. Um, They're not assholes. They're not toxic leaders, but they just don't know how to do anything. They don't know how to do it in their new role. And so one of the things that we need to do as we're trying to like spot the toxic leaders, we just need to really be thoughtful about our hiring processes, our recruitment processes, and how we make decisions about who's going to get promoted and moved into different positions. We promote the wrong people. We, you know, if, if I'm part of an engineering team and I'm like the best engineer. Does that mean I'm going to be the best person to lead that engineering team? Absolutely not. That's almost never the case, yet that's the person that always gets promoted. And so we have to think about it differently. And then we also perpetuate old stereotypes of like what the classic leader looks like, right? And as we promote people based on how they seem... For example, we, we tend to promote, give people leadership roles who act really confident. Now, confidence is important when you're in leadership, but confidence isn't arrogance. They're very different things. And so you have a lot of people that'll puff their chest out and they'll you know, pound their chest, figuratively speaking, to try to demonstrate their confidence. But really, they're just insecure people that are pretty arrogant. And we end up promoting them because they put on a good show. Like those are the people that we should never promote into those positions, yet it happens all the time. So there are there's lots of ways to spot those people, yet most organizations don't really do them because we fall back. It, it's the same old story. We just fall back on tradition, we fall back on comfort, we fall back on status quo, and and then we end up perpetuating a whole bunch of unhealthy systems, a whole bunch of unhealthy processes and and we end up having long-term ramifications to the the health of our individuals within our organization, the employees, but also the, their teams in the organization as a whole.
0: Well, I appreciate that response, and and on multiple levels, one of uh, the, the most telling for me is that on my podcast, I've had a lot of people talk about not in relation to toxic leadership, but the promotion of technically very competent people to leadership roles without a buffer t- to train them to what it means to be in a leadership position. But you are promoted on your technical expertise or your time in the organization without necessarily having those leadership skills developed in you so at some points I think it's done out of expediency because organizations may not have the time to go through the process to see whether that person will be a good fit to lead it's more well Joe Smith has been here for 10 years he, he's done well in that job time to promote him or or Sarah's been here for 10 years that's you know it's time to move on and, and, and take a, a leadership role and that, and that I think speaks to the the last last. Last topic I had, which is about how do you respond to toxic leadership? So you've mentioned that at the very basis level, you have to value your people and provide them a workplace that is respectful to them and their needs, that you have hopefully systems within your organization to uh, train and develop your leaders to avoid that toxic leadership framework that you don't want people to get into are there outside of having the uh the the um, i think before when when i was talking about the uh having the asshole radar, much like the bat shark repellent i don't know if you watch the old batman series but you pull out a spray can and suddenly a shark jumps at you and you spray it in the face and suddenly they're (laughs) suddenly they're repelled um are there any other uh tips that you would suggest or, or a strategy that you've come across that would help to minimize the impact of, and, and I think this is a two-parter, so sorry to do this to you, but I think it's one thing to minimize the impact in the workplace, it's the other, can we set up systems to try and avoid as much as is humanly possible a toxic leadership environment? So, I mean, first and foremost, yeah. Try, I mean, let's, let's get better at our whole
1: hiring process and how we, like, our leadership development programs and pathways for people to weed out, you know, the narcissists, the toxic leaders, No, like I mentioned earlier, if if there's a narcissist who's actually self-regulated to the point where they recognize they need to work, play well in the sandbox and work well with other people in order to get ahead, that's fine. Right. But if, if you have, you know, people that are just toxic behaviors, absolutely. Let's weed them out early on. That's number one. But when, when they find their way into leadership positions, what do we do then? It's like, if you, if you have a fire, how do you put out a fire? You suffocate it, right? You, you, you cut off its oxygen source. So one of the things that you need to do when you identify someone who's a toxic leader is you need to cut off its oxygen. And that can happen in a number of ways. Uh, one, one thing I often think about is this, this kind of corollary to toxic leadership, and that is sycophant syndrome. So when you have organizations with toxic leaders, you also have a lot of sycophants. They surround themselves with sycophants. Um, people who are yes men who, who, who are pining around the leader to try to get ahead themselves right and pretty much every toxic leader has a whole bunch of sycophants around them and so start to cut off the sycophants <laughs> because the toxic leader thrives in a context of having power and influence and 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 often they don't have the ability to be successful in and of themselves they often can recognize that despite their blustering and their arrogance and their their show of confidence And so they need sycophants around them that they can then have do all their work for them. So you start to cut off the sycophants. You force them to actually do the work that they were hired to do. And pretty soon there, it's just like a fire where you cut off the oxygen. It it just goes out and you find toxic leaders in that kind of an environment where they don't, they they don't have the constant um, stroking of their ego. They don't have people doing their work for them that they can exploit and now, you know, either they're looking for another job because they want to go to the next opportunity where they can continue to be a toxic boss, or they simply, their, their performance Dips because they they aren't leaning and exploiting on the people around them, and they end up you know getting booted out of the organization. Now, of course, I you know if I'm the CEO and I see that there's like a VP who's a toxic leader or someone who's a middle manager is a toxic leader, I hope that I would have enough wherewithal to say, ah, we got to make a change. That person's out. We can do it with as much dignity and grace as we want, but that person's out. We're going to get another person in. But unfortunately, we all know that due to a variety of reasons and. Sometimes it's a political thing, but for a variety of reasons, a lot of times we're not getting rid of those toxic leaders, even once we acknowledge that they are toxic. And so if that's the case, let's try to, to uh, you know, cut off their, their energy source.
0: Jonathan, this has been an an awesome discussion and I think uh, for those that are in that toxic leadership space, if you're a toxic leader, watch out because I think we need to empower more people by uh, having these discussions out loud and they're often uncomfortable because the, I guess the problem with work, if I can can label it that, is people invest a lot of themselves in their jobs, whether they admit to it or not. Now, I have met individuals and, and I know them personally that work is a very functional thing. They go to work, they do their their time and when they leave work, they completely cut off from work and they do what they want to do, which can be family, it can be uh, ac- uh, physical activities. They just disconnect from work completely. I personally am an unfortunate that I, I find it difficult to disconnect from work, not because work is the only thing in my life. I very much like what I do and I'm heavily invested in, in getting outcomes for the people that I work with. I'm I have a connection there as a as an industry advocate in my nine to five job. Not necessarily the healthiest way to be but I invest myself in what I do. And I think I'm not alone in this. And when you get into an environment where there is a toxic workplace, the individual experiencing that maybe, please correct me if I'm wrong here, but the way that I'm conceptualizing this is that it's an attack on you personally and your values in that place. And that's why I think if you're saying to me, and I have no reason to dispute this, that it can end up, you can end up with PTSD or suicidality. These are not good things, but it comes back to also how do you engineer out in human beings putting their all into their job and putting themselves? You, know, you can't because you want people to be that invested that if you get people that really want to be there, you will f- foster hopefully innovation and pushing the envelope. And so striking that balance, I think, can be difficult because um, what I've seen is that the bigger the organization, the more you the leaders are disconnected from lower levels in that organization. So I I could see why at times you may not see a toxic environment growing because you're not in the cut and thrust of operational issues on a daily basis. Does that, does that ring true for you?
1: Yeah. I I mean, I think those are some really good points. Ultimately, you know, as, as I consider my experience in organizations, as well as, you know, with, with some of the, the research stuff that I've done, I, the bottom line is it's, it's, it's a really challenging thing it's messy and organizations exist and bureaucracies exist to self perpetuate right they're there to continue to exist they want to continue to exist that's job number 1 of an organization and so we talk about advocacy and we talk about you know trying to To diminish or completely abolish any exploitation, exploitation of employees, exploitation of the environment, you know, any any of that, right? We want to cut that out. Yet the primary role and mechanism of organizations is to to persist. And that means that you find people that will get exploited or certainly will get used up to the extent that they end up burning out. So we have to foster, like it is so important for us to, to talk, to preach and to practice balance and to talk about self-care continually and it starts with leadership so i can talk about it all i want i can say yeah you know i care about you as you. my people are so important i want them to be healthy um, in every aspect of their life practice self-care and you talk about that all day long but if you as the boss aren't practicing self-care you as the boss aren't you know taking weekends off you're not taking vacations You're, you're texting people, sending emails at 10 at night, one in the morning. Like as soon as you do that, it doesn't really matter what you said, because people are going to follow the behavior and uh, the, the, the words like the, the rhetoric, the dialogue needs to be there, but it has to be followed up with behavior um, that, that demonstrates to every person on your team that, yeah, you actually do want them to like disconnect, take time with your family or with your friends, go enjoy the environment, go out and go on a hike, like go get some good sleep. You don't have to, an- if I email you at one in the morning, you don't have to answer it. I can say that, but guess what? As soon as I send that email at one in the morning, they're going to feel like they have to answer it. And so don't send the email at one in the morning, <laughs> like save it in your inbox and then send it first thing in the morning. Right. I get it. I'm, I'm of the mentality that when I think of something, I just want to get it off my cognitive load. Right. I want to, I, I think, oh, I need to email this person about something. Okay, great. I I want to do it right then so I don't have to worry about it later, but I don't need to send it at one in the morning. I can literally save it till the next day and then send it. And just simple little things like that can make a huge, huge difference in people's lived experience in the workplace and, and striking that kind of a healthy balance. Now, if I'm passionate about my work and I'm really invested in it, chances are, yeah, I'm probably, it's going to be really easy for me to get out of whack and out of balance. So sometimes I need my boss to just tell me flat out, Hey, John, Friday night. It's 10 o'clock. Go home, dude. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> I don't want you here anymore. <laughs> Sometimes you just need to have your people's back. You're showing that you You have care for them, right? Yeah, um, and that genuine caring goes a really long way, even if you do it in a bit of a blunt way.
0: Fully agree. So look, for those listening, I've been speaking to Professor Jonathan Westover. Jonathan, thank you for your time.
1: It has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
0: And look, For those listening, please uh, get in into these podcasts where we're trying to get a message out around what toxic leadership is, what it looks like, potentially what it feels like and uh, you can engage in lots of different ways. I'll put Jonathan's details up for those so you, you can see what he's doing and if you need more information, I'll put more information links on the podcast descriptions when they are published. So this has been Talking Leadership. Thank you for joining me and we'll catch everyone on the next podcast.